my houseplants need to be able to be neglected because if I'm out in the field 12, 15 hours a day and I'm coming in and I'm eating and I'm crashing, those plants need to be able to be ignored without dying. Hey, I'm Karen, and together with my husband, I spent over a decade researching and learning and building our small farm through lots of trial and error, successes and failures. I went back to school to get my degree in horticulture to help our farm business, and now I want to pass all that knowledge on to you. Because I firmly believe that self-reliance is empowering and that everyone, whether you've got a five-acre plot in the country, a half-acre lot in suburbia, or a windowless room in a downtown apartment, should just grow something. Hello, my gardening friends, and welcome back to the Just Grow Something podcast. It is the first Friday in May, and so this is the Can You Dig It episode, volume two. Um, I have a couple of interesting stories for you, and I have some really great questions to answer for you. But first, I would like to welcome um, our new listeners, especially those who are in some additional foreign countries outside of the U.S. Welcome to those listening in Argentina, Brazil, and Germany. So um, thank you and welcome. And you know, thank you to those of you who have been sharing this podcast. Hey, you've gone international. You've got some new people in here from outside the U.S. And uh, while I don't speak Spanish or German, sadly, because um, my husband is actually Puerto Rican and is fluent in Spanish, and uh, some of my family actually comes from Germany. I still have family in Germany, and yet I do not speak fluent German. I do understand some Spanish, and I do understand some German, but I only know enough of those languages to be dangerous, and therefore this podcast will remain in English. So let's move on to um, a couple of stories that I found that I thought you might find interesting. Um, one of them actually goes along with the episode that I did on um, mistakes in the garden. And I actually f read this article almost immediately after posting that episode. I've been hanging on to it because once again, it just shows that everybody makes mistakes in the garden. Me, you, and even so-called professionals. And the headline of that story says, Lawn Care Goof Closes Kansas City Golf Course for a Month and Will Cost the County. So this is an article out of the Kansas City Star that was posted on April 20th of 2021. And it's talking about uh, Jackson County, Missouri, which is a little ways further uh, north of where I am, um, and their 18-hole Fred Arbanus golf course. And unfortunately, the golf course was closed from April 5th through May 3rd, so it will have just reopened as you're listening to this, uh, because they had to sort of do a partial greens restoration. Now, they had done some renovation um, on the county's par three course last year. Uh, unfortunately, this one was not planned because apparently... Someone misapplied lawn chemicals last fall, and it killed the grass on 95% of the greens at the course. Yipes. Now, I'm not a golfer, 
Um, I have golfers in my family. I have been golfing upon occasion. And so I understand how important the greens are. I also had an instructor um, in college who was very much a turf grass person. And so golf courses were sort of his thing. So I understand the maintenance that's involved in greens and what it takes to keep those greens looking pristine. And this is a major this is a major boo-boo. <laughs> um, they were closed all month. The county was basically out more than $100,000 um, between not being able to collect about $85,000 in greens fees, but then also the expense of having to purchase sod. And because they had just done that renovation last year, uh, the county's own sod farm was basically depleted. So they had to basically have sod hauled in uh, from a company in Colorado in order to be able to repair the greens uh, in, in time for them to at least be able to get a portion of the season in. So they basically requested an emergency purchase that was in March after they figured out, you know, that the excessive application had had killed as much of the grass as it had. Uh, the new sod was estimated at a cost of a little over $27,000. And then they had to contract with the company to help with the preparation and the installation. That was another eight grand. Uh, and then, of course, you know, they didn't have the greens fees that they were collecting. The unfortunate part of this is the greens fees and the other revenue that comes from the uh, this golf course is actually the that parks department's largest generator of revenue. So it was going to affect um, other programs within the parks department if they couldn't get this taken care of rather quickly. I mean, either way, it was going to affect it. But that was sort of their justification for this emergency purchase order in order to be able to, to fix their greens. And so they were basically just warning all of the golfers, like, look, yes, we're closed for a month. We welcome you back with open arms. However, uh, please take into consideration when you come back that this sod was cut while it was dormant. Uh, and so the appearance of the new greens isn't going to exactly be up to par. It still has to have a chance to get established. So please give us some um, some slack or cut us some slack uh, when you when you come out. So uh, I found that rather interesting and very poignant considering the episode that we had just done on uh, making mistakes in the garden. You know, like flip-flopping the level of nutrients that you put into your broccoli plants. <laughs> so that's that story. The next story I found interesting had to do with how the pandemic has changed the houseplant industry. So this was an article I found in House Beautiful, and it talked about, you know, besides being just cheerful decoration, um, why plants are scientifically proven to help reduce stress, and why maybe that's the reason why they have become so popular um, during this last year or so of pandemic life. And they're talking in there about a one-time personal plant shopper, which how do I get that job? That's really cool. Um, who opened her own website. It was called Partly Sunny Projects. She's in Southern California. And she did that just weeks into the pandemic. And so she really didn't have very high hopes for it. She just figured people wouldn't have the expendable income at that point. Because if you remember, we were scrambling to find groceries and hand sanitizer and toilet paper. 
Uh, but she was wrong. It, almost immediately after she opened, she was flooded with orders. In fact, she shipped out 1,200 orders in June of 2020 alone. And she figures that over the last year, she has sent out more than 70,000 houseplants. Okay, so let's think about this for a second, though. I mean, we've talked before about the benefits of having houseplants, right? And not only is it about the air filtration, but we talked about um, green spaces and the benefits to having green spaces, both mentally and physically. That translates into your home. So in this time when people were having to spend so much more time indoors, you know, it only makes sense that having or discovering keeping houseplants would uh, would be something that would, would fall in line with that. You know, this woman, um, her name is, let me find that, her name is Sonia de Trinidad. She actually, in addition to having this company, she also has a, a plant-focused TikTok account which, okay, I'm not on TikTok. I am not a TikToker. Um, I'm not that creative. I've, I've watched, I, I used to actually have a TikTok and would watch these videos and I immediately recognized exactly how uh, deep of a rabbit hole I could go through when so those videos lead from one to the next to the next. So I said, uh-uh, and I, I got rid of it. But um, I do see how fun it could be. And so I, I, but I'm just not creative enough to have my own TikTok account. So she does. She's got over uh, 285,000 followers. And it's all about the plants and she gets all these thank you notes from people, you know, about thank you for sharing your videos and you've changed my life and I found something that helps me with anxiety. And I mean, that's, that's amazing. And, and, you know, she's very realistic about the reason behind that. She says, and I quote, where I live, I have these great outdoor areas, but other people are trapped in a studio apartment in a city and can't get out. They want to see a tree. I think that it gave an opportunity to people that didn't have a chance to slow down to slow down and really embrace the space that they live in, end quote. And I mean, and that's that's part of it. People were forced to spend more time at home. They had to find hobbies that were different from what they were used to. It wasn't, hey, I'm going to go home and I'm going to change over real quick and then I'm going to run out and have drinks with my friends. And then, you know, on the weekend, I'm going to be out doing this adventure and going to this place and everything else. No, you were sitting at home and you were twiddling your thumbs. And I'm sorry, there's only so much YouTube or Hulu or Netflix or whatever that you can watch. So, you know, she pointed out that houseplants can be like a, an addictive hobby. I mean, it's a healthy one, you know, but she says, quote, you buy one and then you see the leaves of another one and you see the color and shapes of another one and you buy another one, end quote. Yes. You know, I mean, that's, you know, if you, if you get that interest in something, yeah, one thing can lead to the next, can lead to the next. Now I am going to admit I love my houseplants. I have houseplants all over the place, but they absolutely have to be um, forgiving. <laughs> so since probably oh, nine months out of the year, maybe eight months out of the year, I spend the majority of my time outside, right, in our market gardens, um, my houseplants need to be able to be neglected. Because if I'm out in the field 12, 15 hours a day, and I'm coming in, and I'm eating, and I'm crashing, 
those plants need to be able to be ignored without dying. So the plants that I have within my house are capable of dealing with that. I don't have orchids. I don't have African violets. I don't have anything that might need a little bit of my attention. I have things that can absolutely stand being dried out between waterings because you're getting watered once a week, maybe, if I can remember to do it on time. Sometimes it's as long as 10 days. I might be able to remember to, you know, to put the plant food in the water when I water you. Um, you got to be able to survive or you're not going to make it in this house. So I can attest that, you know, house plants, you see them and you love them and they're great. And you can add another one, add another one, add another one. And it actually is is you know something that anybody can do. There are types of houseplants that are okay for just about everybody, whether you can give it all the attention in the world or quite literally none at all. There are houseplants that fit the bill. So I just thought that article was interesting and it actually made a whole lot of sense. I'm just hoping that now that you know restrictions are starting to loosen up and people are going to start getting back to their normal routines, that people keep up the houseplant thing. Because like I said before, houseplants are really good for you. They help filter the air, especially when you consider all the things that we bring into our homes that actually contain toxins and that put toxins into the air. Those houseplants help to filter that and they trap those toxins in the root system where it's eventually broken down by microbes and they give us back fresh air. So especially if you are living in a small space where the air is sort of recirculating all the time, houseplants are a fabulous idea. And I really hope that this uh, this sort of houseplant craze that has gone on with the pandemic absolutely sticks around. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And then one more quick story that I actually hadn't intended on doing, but I, I saw it pop up uh, in my feed just before coming in here to record, and I thought it was really cute, and I would repeat it to you. There was an article in People Magazine that uh, the, the headline reads, Prince William says Kate Middleton does all the gardening at home. Uh, quote, I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> so, uh, and I, you know, it, it's mostly royal fluff. If you're a royal watcher or not, sometimes, you know, you find them interesting, sometimes not so much. Um, but it talks about Prince William going back to North Wales and and visiting um, a, a, the town that, that he had lived in for a few years. And there's an organization there that, uh, you know, helps bring members of the community together by participating in a range of activities. And one of those activities um, was to get into gardening and to grow vegetables. And it, Prince William admitted that, you know, his wife does all the gardening. He says, I really like it, but I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> and so, I mean, hey we can't all be, you know, brilliant in the garden. There might be somebody, you know, in your, in your house that is better at it than you do. And actually my husband will say that, you know, uh, he is not the one that knows anything about the plants. It is all me. And he just follows my direction, which very well may be true, but uh, I know that he has picked up 
all of this information throughout the years and he can absolutely identify what needs to be done. And he is no longer, you know, going out to weed things and pulling things that aren't weeds. You know, like the year that he pulled up all my beet seedlings because they were red and he figured that they were weeds. So, but that's another story for another day. So we will move on to our Q&A session and me answering your gardening questions. Except I don't have any of your gardening questions this week and nobody sent me any questions for this month. So either I'm absolutely doing my job and you are all now experts and nobody needs to ask any questions or it was just a month where you were busy doing other things and you just didn't have any questions. Um, So I'm actually going to review some questions that were in a couple of Facebook groups that I'm in. So the first one actually is going to be still relevant to a lot of you because not everybody is beyond their last frost date yet for this season. And a lot of us are also experiencing cooler than usual conditions for this time of year. We actually went down to, we hit 38 degrees uh, Fahrenheit the other night, which is actually pretty unusual for this time in May for us. Now we've experienced snow, uh, but Generally speaking, you know, we don't get as low as, you know, 38, 36. Uh, We're not normally in danger of, you know, a real frost or freeze at this time of the year. It's usually pretty rare. We actually did have a farm near us. Um, It's a little, they're a little further north than us, but they do sort of sit in a frost pocket. They lost um, a lot of their plants out in one of their fields. Um, It was mostly beans and and those sort of frost-sensitive plants. Thankfully, they didn't have any of their tomatoes or their their summer crops out there yet that they wouldn't be able to replace because, you know, once you live in a place for a while and you sort of keep track of what the the pattern is or what the the behavior is uh, in your mesoclimate, you kind of get an idea of, oh, okay, yeah, everybody else around me is planting, but I know you know, that, that it's still a little bit too early for me. So thankfully they hadn't done that and they hadn't dropped down yet. But I know that there are a lot of people out there who are still dealing with the possibility of frost. And so somebody had asked the question, um, I have my plants covered, some of them with hay, some with flannel sheets. I'm wondering if it's okay to leave them covered. Also, now the sheets are wet. So is this going to hurt my plants when the sheets freeze? So this question was actually asked in the context of a three-day period or so where we were getting down to frost temperature uh, three nights in a row. And so, of course, it was the middle of the week and people have um, jobs that they have to go to and things that they have to leave. And so my response was, your real concern with this is the weight from the wet sheets. Um, As water freezes, it releases heat to your plants. And so the wet sheets will actually help protect them from frost. But if you have them covering small plants, the weight may be enough to damage them. And so she was asking this question on, um, I want to say it was like a Tuesday afternoon. And so we had Wednesday and then Thursday during the day that we were concerned about temperatures. And she, I said, as far as leaving the covers on until Thursday, they really should get a chance to breathe a little during the day if possible. But if time precludes you from removing the sheets, then they should be able to handle it without major damage. In reality, 
you know, the concern was if they were young plants, they were small plants, that weight would be way too much for those small plants to handle. And so they really did need to be taken off during the day. And um, they also needed a chance to breathe a little bit during the day. Um, but I get it. You know, not everybody has the opportunity to be able to go out first thing in the morning and uncover their plants or wait until it warms up when you have a really cold stretch um, and then uncover them and then go back out and recover them again. Like if you have to leave the house to go to work or take kids to school or whatever, you know, you may not be able to wait. So you have to sort of use your best judgment when it comes to whether or not it's okay to remove that cover knowing that it's supposed to warm up above freezing. Or if you just leave it and hope that uh, it doesn't suffocate the plants. And honestly, it it absolutely is a judgment call at that point. There is no right or wrong answer because it really is going to depend on the circumstances within your yard and um, what's going on with your particular mesoclimate and the microclimate in and around those plants. So you just do the best that you can um, and you go from there. So, but what I want to talk about a little bit is um, the idea behind using ice to protect those outdoor plants against those frosts. One, and this is actually something that commercial growers do on a large scale, um, they use water, they use ice essentially to help protect their plants. So, I mean, in case of frost, you can actually, you know, absolutely cover plants um, with some sort of a thermal blanket in order to be able to protect them. But in this instance, obviously the blanket got wet and it was starting to freeze. Additionally, if you've got really, really large areas, you can only use so much row cover or so many, you know, frost blankets. And so you actually, and in some cases, I mean, you're going to have to put some sort of, of support underneath to avoid the plant from breaking. Um, so growers on a large scale, and this works on a small scale too, will use watering sprinklers for frost protection out in their growing areas. And this will actually work for the home gardener as well. You have to keep in mind the sprinklers have to be turned on before the temperatures fall um, below freezing. And the sprinklers have to be left on the whole time until um, the temperatures rise above freezing. So the watering system has to get turned off only when the air temperatures are high enough not to produce any plant damage. So, you know, the idea is that these sprinklers will um, cover the plants, the water droplets will be deposited on the plants, and then the water droplets freeze. And while this water freezing process occurs, it releases heat, and that heat protects the plants. And you can go out and do a search for, you know, ice protection or, or you know, ice on plants or whatever. And there's, you know, the, all these different images of these different growers who have like hanging baskets that are hanging outside and they're completely covered by sheets of ice uh, after an entire night of being irrigated with sprinkler frost protection systems. And it's kind of eerie. I mean, you look at it and they are completely covered in ice and you think there is no way that those plants survived. However, let's go back to some of our high school, um, I don't know if it was chemistry class, maybe it was physics class, um, or even college, whatever. Um, 
let's think about the three different possible states of water. You have solid, liquid, and gas, right? Ice, liquid water, and sort of uh, water vapor. And each one of those states has a particular level of latent energy, right? It's the highest for water vapor. It's the lowest for ice. And, you know, liquid water is sort of in between. So when water is changing from one state to another, it either has to be given energy or it has to release energy. So ice needs to have energy applied to it, right? You have to give, you have to heat it up. You have to give it heat. Let's think of heat in this instance as energy because essentially that's what it is. Ice requires heat to melt. So you're giving it energy. When water begins to turn to ice, it releases energy. And that means it's releasing heat. So it's this heat that's being released by the water as it's beginning to freeze that actually helps protect the plants. It's so counterintuitive to what you would think. You're like, oh no, you know, my, my plants are freezing, but that ice is actually going to help. Again, it, this is, you know, a, a way that, that, you know, growers, commercial growers will use to keep huge, huge um, areas of outdoor plants um, and protect them from frost or freeze. They do it in orchards as well. It's actually a way that they will, you can either do one direction or the other. So there are smudge pots also that they will use like in orchards that actually uh, raise the temperature just a couple of degrees Fahrenheit in order to keep that frost from settling in. And so there's all these pots that are out there and they're lit all night long and they are just giving off just the slightest amount of heat, but enough to raise it. And then there is the opposite direction of going ahead and using these sprinklers and keeping that running all night long in order to, uh, to keep the frost at bay through the freezing of the water. So super interesting. That was, uh, that was my response um, to her plants. And, uh, she actually ended up, you know, salvaging her plants. She actually, you know, she, she tried to get them uncovered during the day when she could, uh, but they, they were fine and they were sort of established and they bounced back and her plants did just fine. There's not much better than looking out first thing on a sunny morning, gazing at my garden beds over a hot cup of coffee. As U.S. Marines, my husband and I drank a lot of coffee. As farmers, well, let's just say we should probably drink more water. The coffee we drink these days still has a military tie. We have freshly roasted coffee shipped to us every few weeks from Black Rifle Coffee Company. Black Rifle is a veteran-owned business, just like ours, but they serve up premium coffee and ship it around the world. When you join their coffee club, your chosen brew is roasted, packaged, and shipped free to your door on whatever schedule you choose. And with every purchase, they're giving back to military veterans and active duty, law enforcement, and first responders. Ready to check them out? Go to justgrowsomethingpodcast.com slash coffee to save 20% when you join the Black Rifle Coffee Club. No commitments. Cancel anytime. That's justgrowsomethingpodcast.com slash coffee for 20% off your coffee club subscription. So the second question and answer that I wanted to share with you on this episode um, has to do with using manure as uh, an amendment in the garden. And this person asked about 
well, she says, garden manure. I've heard people say cow manure needs to be composted six months to a year before adding to the garden. I've also heard some people add it to the garden and plant in immediately. I've heard the same thing about donkey manure and chicken manure. How does one gauge what is best for their garden and for their family? We need compost and manure for the new garden. We're willing to wait to be patient, but we have options if we don't have to wait. What say you? And of course, you know, there were several different people who jumped in here and they, and they made their comments and made their, their um, evaluations of the situation. And me being the scientifically minded person that I am and probably the person who explains way more than they need to, um, I tried to give her the most amount of information that I could. So my response to this was whether to compost or not is based on the carbon to nitrogen ratio. The less carbon, the higher the need to compost before use so you don't damage your plants. Rabbit manure is relatively cool and is fair game for using in the garden without composting first. It's a great nitrogen source and can be hot if you use too much of a concentration of fresh manure at once. Use it fresh sparingly or pile it on after it's sat for a month or two. Cow and horse are next down on the list of carbon to nitrogen ratio. It can be used right away if tilled in, but composting is recommended in order to reduce weed seed pressure. Goat, sheep, llama, and alpaca pellets have plenty of nitrogen and should be aged at least a month before use. The hottest manures come from omnivores. These are the chickens and the pigs. These absolutely need to be composted before use. And there's really not a whole lot that I can add to that. If you are somebody who lives in an area where you have access to manure either from your neighbors or from somebody out in the county, um, it's a great, great amendment to add into your gardens. You just need to be careful when you are getting these things to find out how long the stuff has been sitting and what the source of it is. So if you've got uh, neighbors who have cows or horses and they have a pile of manure, this happens a lot with horse manure in a lot of areas. They just kind of shovel out or muck out the stalls and they toss it into a pile and it just sort of sits there. Um, and then they say, hey, I've got all this horse manure. Can somebody come please pick it up? You know, like I said, it can be used right away if you till it in really well well and it's mixed with your soil. Um, I honestly prefer to let it sit and compost for a little while just to reduce any possibility of weed seeds because obviously horses, they're eating hay. Uh, hay has seeds, the grass seeds, and you may end up having um, a lot of grasses popping up um, if you don't let it sit for a little bit. Uh, the same thing goes with the cow manure. Um, but it's not going to damage your plants if you are, you know, using it right away and you are tilling it in really, really well. And you're, you know, don't do more than 50% of your, you know, your raised bed or your garden bed into manure because that's, that's not a good idea either. You want to make sure that you have that right ratio going on. You know, goat, sheep, llama, alpaca, they have a, a fairly high level of nitrogen. So even though they're in those pellets like you see um, for rabbit manure, they definitely are a little bit hotter. So you want to wait just a little bit longer before you use um, the goat, sheep, llama, or alpaca manure in your garden. Like I said, at least 30 days um, before use. 
Chicken manure and pig manure absolutely needs to be composted before you use it. It is hot. And that is because chickens and pigs are omnivores. And so the nitrogen level is going to be way higher in those manures. Um, so that one you definitely want to compost. But rabbit manure, boy, if you can get your hands on some rabbit pellets and mix those into your garden soil, you are golden. It has got um, great level of nutrients. They're fair game for using right away. Um, and, you know, some people that, that I know, you know, use it all the time and they just can't say enough about how well their gardens produce after they have added some rabbit manure um, to their garden beds. So those are the questions that, you know, I, I answered in a couple of Facebook groups uh, in the last month. And if uh, you have questions for me, please feel free to send it in. Either shoot me an email to grow at justgrowsomethingpodcast.com. Use the, uh, the link in the show notes to leave me a voice message or go to the website and submit the contact form there. I will very happily answer um, whatever questions that you have for me. And if I pull or answer your question, you will be in the running to win a Clyde's Garden Planner. It's a handy little tool, you know, a, a good tool to have on hand to, to help you figure out when and how to plant uh, the timing of your garden. So um, send me your questions. I look forward to answering them. In the meantime, go out and give a follow to our Instagram page, the Just Grow Something podcast Instagram. Um, you can see not only the images, the cover images and the information about these episodes, but all kinds of other fun things peppered in there. I've done a couple of IG videos. You get to see the update on what happened with those broccoli plants that I screwed up the fertilizer on um, and uh, all kinds of different stuff. So I appreciate you coming along and listening today. I would appreciate you downloading the episodes, um, subscribing to this podcast in your podcast app that actually helps people find us. Um, share your favorite episodes with your friends and family who are gardeners or even those who aren't. Maybe they'll get an interest in gardening. That would be kind of cool. So until next time, my gardening friends, keep on cultivating that dream garden and I will talk to you again soon. You just finished another episode of the Just Grow Something podcast. I hope these episodes are helping you understand more about how to grow your own food and maybe growing an awareness of food issues in general. Just remember, no matter where you live or what you have, you can absolutely grow something. Mm -hmm.